Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the tragic story of Saul as we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. 2 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel dealt with the reign of King Saul over Israel, and it ends with the death of Saul at the hands of the Philistines. Saul, the tragic story of a man who had many natural abilities and many God-given opportunities, and yet his was a wasted life and never achieving the full potential of his being, a life of failure because he failed to submit himself totally to God. As the prophet Samuel said to him, because you have rejected the Lord from ruling over you, and that was the basic flaw of Saul's life, he had rejected the Lord from ruling over his own life. He was a self-determined, self-governed man, self-willed, And that destroyed him from achieving and attaining those things that God intended for his life. The story of failure. Dying at the hands of the Philistines. His body being mutilated. Hung on the wall of the temple in Bethsheen. Until the men of Jabesh Gilead came and cut it down and buried it over in Gilead, the other side of Jordan. Now, the fact that the men of Jabesh Gilead broke through the lines of the Philistines and rescued the bodies of Saul and his sons is interesting because Saul's career as king sort of began with the situation that developed at Jabesh Gilead. There was an invading king who came to Jabesh Gilead and demanded that the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead surrender or that they capitulate to him on the basis of plucking out the eyes of all of the men and laying them out, the right eyes, and laying them out before him. And so they cried unto Saul for help who came with the army of Israel and destroyed this invading army And so the city of Jabesh Gilead was saved by Saul, and that was the thing that sort of catapulted Saul into prominence and into acceptance by the people as king over Israel. Up until that time, there were men who were saying, shall Saul rule over us? Who is he? And And there were those that were objecting to Saul's reign. But when he came to the rescue of Jabesh Gilead, led the armies of Israel to victory, then he was catapulted into the limelight, became the king over Israel. And so it is significant that the men of Jabesh Gilead are the men who came and rescued his body. They, of course, felt a great obligation and debt to Saul. Now, 
Saul's greatest failure, perhaps, was his failure to obey the commandment of God to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. God sent him down against Amalek, and with the instructions, he's to utterly wipe them out. When he came back from the victory, and Samuel came out to meet him, he greeted Samuel with the words, As the Lord liveth, I have done everything the Lord commanded me to do. That was a giant lie. He had not done everything the Lord commanded him to do. He had not utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He had left many of them alive. He utterly destroyed the weakest of the cattle the ill-favored sheep, but he kept the best of the cattle, the best sheep. He kept King Agag alive, plus he allowed many of the other Amalekites to live. Now, in Scripture there is interesting typologies so that Egypt becomes a type of our old life in the bondage of sin in the world. The Red Sea becomes a type of baptism where I come out of the old life and into a new relationship with God. The wilderness becomes a type of that life, though redeemed, yet still dominated by the flesh. Coming into the promised land is a type of coming into the full walk and life of the Spirit. And in biblical typology, Amalek is a type of the flesh life. And there are many places in the Scripture where Amalek is given as a type of the flesh and the life of the flesh. And thus, when God ordered the utter destruction of the Amalekites, God was, in a sense, ordering the utter destruction of the flesh. In Romans 8, it said, If we thereby do mortify the deeds of the flesh, or put to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. Know ye not that your old man was crucified with Christ? And as Paul declared, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now God has not developed any programs of reform for your flesh. God has only one edict for your flesh, and that's let it be crucified. The Bible says give no place for the flesh to fulfill the desires thereof. God orders its utter destruction. It's not to rule over you. By the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh in order that you might live. For the mind of the flesh is death. And God doesn't seek to reform or modify our fleshly activities. He said, don't give any place for them. Let it be crucified. And thus, the command to utterly, utterly wipe out the Amalekites is an important command in a spiritual sense. 
And as we get into the first chapter of 2 Samuel, we see something very interesting indeed. Now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. Now you see, the Amalekites were still very much alive. David had had an experience with them at, when he took his men and went up to join with Achish in the battle because the city of Ziklag, where he was living, was emptied of all of the men. The Amalekites came in and, and stole all of their things, burned their city, and took all of their wives and children captive. Now, had Saul utterly destroyed the Amalekites, they couldn't have done this. You know, if you leave a place for the flesh, it's going to come back to haunt you. If you leave a foothold of the flesh in your life, it's going to come back to destroy you. So David and his men were two days there in Ziklag, and it came to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn. And he had earth upon his head, or he put dirt on his head, and so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and he did obeisance. And David said unto him, Where have you come from? And he said, Out of the camp of Israel I have escaped. David said unto him, How did the battle go? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance there on Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen were following hard after him, and when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called unto me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said unto me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite, one from that nation that God ordered Saul to utterly destroy. And he said to me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and his bracelets, and I have brought them to you. Now, one of two things here. In the last chapter, we read that Saul fell on his sword and died. It may be that this Amalekite is making up this story about Saul, thinking that he's going to get in good with David because he killed David's... It would be wrong to say David's enemy because actually Saul was never David's enemy, but David was an enemy of Saul. But the one who had been trying to destroy David, David's adversary, and maybe he felt that by making up a story that I killed him that he would find favor in David's eyes. It could be this is a lie, and it could be that it is true. In the last chapter, we read that Saul turned to his armor-bearer and said, kill me, because he had been shot through with an arrow. 
And, and he figured he was going to die, and he didn't want the Philistines to catch him and torture him, actually. He was afraid of being tortured by them if they'd get him alive. And so he asked his armor bearer to kill him, but the armor bearer was afraid to do it. And so Saul set out his sword in front of him, and he lunged himself onto his sword to run it through him to kill himself. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul had fallen upon his sword, he set his sword out, and he fell on his sword also. Now, it could be that the young man is telling the truth that even after running himself through with his own sword, falling on his sword, it could be that still he had not fully, you know, that still he was still alive, and he saw this young man and said, Who are you? I'm a Makai. Kill me, please. I don't want the Philistines to torture me. Catch me and torture me. And it could be that he did slay him, or it could be that he's making up this story, that he came and found Saul dead, ripped off his crown and bracelets, and, and made up the story. I don't know. We are only left to conjecture. Nobody really knows for certain. However, there is an interesting thing here. If indeed this young man did kill Saul, it would make an interesting spiritual analogy concerning our flesh, and that is if we don't utterly destroy the flesh, ultimately the flesh is going to destroy us. Had he utterly wiped out the Amalekites, then this young Amalekite boy could never have killed him. But his failure to obey the Lord and utterly wipe out the Amalekites, it came back and a young Amalekite boy killed him. And it is true that God tells us to put to death the flesh, the things of the flesh, because if we don't, if we keep making allowances and tolerate our flesh, you can be sure the flesh is going to come back and destroy you. Make no provision for the flesh life. Walking after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. So David, when he got this news, wept, and he fasted. He wouldn't eat anything, and he began to mourn the death of Saul and Jonathan. Then David took hold of his clothes, and he just ripped them. And, of course, this was always a sign of great emotion and feeling. You just rip your clothes. And uh, he mourned and wept and fasted until the evening for Saul and Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man that told him this, Who are you? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger. I am an Amalekite. And David said unto him, Weren't you afraid to stretch forth your hand against the anointed of the Lord? How is it that you would destroy God's anointed? Now, again, it is interesting the tremendous respect David had for the anointing of God this marvelous respect for God's anointing upon a person's life. Because of that anointing upon Saul, because he had been anointed to be king, David wouldn't touch him. Now David did prophesy, God will either 
strike him or he may fall in battle. And as David said, he may fall in battle. Exactly what did happen to Saul, he fell in battle. But David wouldn't touch him. I will not stretch forth my hand to touch God's anointed. And so when this young man came and said, you know, that he begged me and I killed him, David said, weren't you afraid to touch God's anointed? And he called one of his young men and he said, fall on him with your sword because he dared to touch the anointed of God. And so one of David's young men fell upon him and killed this young man who thought, no doubt, that David would promote him and give him a position of honor, maybe even give him a reward for what he had done. And David rewarded him, but not as he thought. And David said, your blood be upon your head because from your own mouth you've testified against yourself that you have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son, this beautiful lamentation of David. Also he had them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasser. And this is his lamentation. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, which was one of the principal Philistine cities. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, which was another of the five major cities of the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Actually, when the men came back from the war with the victories and all, the young girls would get their tambourines and they would come out in their dances and they would go through their dances praising the men for their battle and their valor and their victories and all. And, and David could see the celebrations in his mind that were going on in these Philistine cities because this mighty man, Saul, and this beloved friend, Jonathan, were slain. And so he's crying out, don't publish it in Gath. Don't publish it in Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines come out in their dances and they rejoice and all. And then he turned to the Mount Gilboa where Saul fell. And he said, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away in the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain and from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Now this sort of curse upon Mount Gilboa, because Saul had fallen, let there not be the dew of heaven or rain fall upon thee. Let there not be wheat fields grow upon thee. Very interesting because you go to Israel today and look at Mount Gilboa, and it's barren. 
a rocky, barren mountain. Now, all around it, the mountains are just covered with trees, lush, beautiful, and green. But Gilboa stands out because of its barrenness. Now, I guess the people of Israel sort of helped this prophecy out because in all of the reforestation of Israel, they've planted millions of trees. But they won't plant trees on Mount Gilboa because of this lament of David. And so it is interesting that Mount Gilboa remains barren to the present day in fulfillment of this lament of David. And it's always just sort of, you know, interesting to look at Gilboa and see the barrenness of it and then remember, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, let, neither let there be any rain upon you or fields of offerings. And then he addresses himself to the daughters of Israel, ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet and with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of 2 Samuel on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Samuel 1 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and give you a beautiful week. May his hand be upon your life, that this will be a week in which you're really in tune, in harmony with him. May God be pleased with you by your commitment and devotion to him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today would like to invite you to come along on a revolutionary study of the Bible as we introduce Pastor Chuck's Genesis commentary in an ebook format. 
Not only will you have Pastor Chuck's in-depth commentary, this ebook allows access to enhanced research studies by honored Christian scholars instantly. Features include Hebrew and Greek word definitions, as well as images of historical maps and places just by clicking or touching your screen. An online dictionary, plus highlighting, note-taking, and bookmarking. And everywhere Pastor Chuck shares what he learned or studied something, you now have access to those very same notes. To get ready to study the Bible in a whole new way. Now you don't have to imagine what it was like to be there. This is the next best thing. To find out how to download Pastor Chuck's Genesis commentary to your electronic device, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or to watch a video demonstration, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.